Well, we're continuing our series on growing to spiritual maturity. And today I want to take you back to the second layer, and that is goodness, adding goodness to your life. You remember, Peter talked about, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he talked about the foundation, foundation of faith. And he says, add to your faith goodness. Begin living a good life. And add to your goodness knowledge. And add to your knowledge self-control. And add to your self-control perseverance. Stay at it no matter what. Add to perseverance godliness. And then from godliness you become brotherly kind. You know, kindness to one another. The people around you. And, and living a life that others are now seeing. God in your life. And then to add to brotherly kindness. Adding to love. And it's interesting. I keep pointing this out because it's so important. We just think we naturally have this ability to love. And, and that's just not true. Spiritual maturity is what eventually gets us to the place where we know how to love. And the world thinks we just absolutely come out of the womb loving. That's not the way my kids came out. My kids came out screaming, love me. Take care of me. Feed me. And if we don't learn the way of love, if we don't grow to spiritual maturity, we never really know what love is. So today we're going to back up a little bit and we're going to add to our faith more goodness. We need more goodness in our lives. And we're going to talk about this. Live forever. Remember, this is all about God's plan, God's promise that you get to live forever. You get eternity. And we're doing all of these things today. We're in church today. We believe in this today because God has promised that to us. Because Jesus has shown us that we can. He came and he died and was raised, to, raised from the dead himself. And that means we get to live forever. Because he did that, we get to. Isn't that great? So today we're going to talk about live forever now. Mankind has great technology these days. And, but here's the reality. They can build things that last longer than they give us the opportunity to buy. Have you noticed that? In business, there's what's called planned obsolescence. If you haven't heard what that is, these are, these are products that are built to fail. Your, every product that you own right now has been built to fail. They're made just well enough that they justify the cost of it, but also they're made just poorly enough that you're going to have to buy it again. It's planned obsolescence. They use entropy for their advantage. And entropy is the natural tendency of things to lose order. That's the way everything is in our world. Sandcastles get washed away. Weeds overtake gardens. We're experiencing that right now, aren't we? Ancient ruins crumble. Cars eventually rust and rot and all of their hoses rot off. All of it goes away. With enough time, even mountains decay. Even mountains erode and, and their precise edges begin to become rounded. The inevitable trend is that things become less organized. It's entropy. That's, and, and they use it for their advantage. Manufacturers are counting on entropy to happen for them to stay in business. Uh, you, you've heard your grandparents say, well, they just don't make things like they used to. Your grandparents probably still have the same refrigerator or your parents still have the same refrigerator that, that they had when you were growing up. 
30, 40 years ago. But yours, man, two years into it, man, the ice maker's not working anymore. How long have they been making ice makers? And we can't get one to work. It's ridiculous. Your phones, your computers, your printers, all of these things are eventually not going to work. I had a routine health test the other day, and the anesthesiologist was complaining about all the wires he was having to deal with, and he was, he was like, oh, I can't wait until they make all of this wireless. I said, I don't think I want that. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, when my life depends on it, I can't even get my wireless printer to work at home. Don't do this to me. Does anybody remember the geostorm? Anybody? A few of you do? Yeah, it was one of the hottest selling sports cars in the 90s. And there was a rumor that it was only built to last for four years, just long enough for you to finish your payments. I think that was true. I'm not sure there's one in existence today. Well, the, there's also what's planned, uh, what's, what's called persevered obsolescence. That is when they market a new item and they make yours feel like it's obsolete. Oh, you're wearing that shirt? You're out of date. You're out of style. Clothes that are still good and wearable are out of style. Well, look, we've got this one that's much bigger. Look how big the screen is. Look, how, This one's much better. This one has more storage. This one lasts longer with the battery. This one has waterproof. What yours has, you need, you need one that you can go 20 meters down. No, I don't. But it sounds good just in case something happens. This one gets better mileage. This one has better gears. This one has more horsepower. You see, there's, there's this idea that if we can tell you that you're out of date, then you'll buy the new one. There's also what's called... Uh, prevention of repair obsolescence. Parts are unavailable, the, the tools to fix it if it breaks are unavailable, and it's become obsolete simply because it's out of date and everything that, that you need in order to keep it up or maintain it is out of date. This is kind of interesting. In Livermore, California, there's a fire station that's that has a, a light bulb in it that's 121 years old and it's still burning. 121 years old. It's called the Centennial Light, and it burns over the fire trucks night and day. And they estimate that this bulb has burned for over a million hours in its lifetime. That's crazy, isn't it? If they had the technology in the late 1800s to be able to build a light bulb that could possibly do this, what could have they been doing in the 1900s? What happened in the 1900s? And the second largest, uh, longest burning light is here, right here in the stockyards of Fort Worth. You can go see it. Here's the point. Planned obsolescence means we have to keep upgrading. We have to keep updating. We have to keep replacing everything from carpet and cell phones and cars. Everything. We just have to keep updating and keeping it going. But here's the reality. Without planned obsolescence, we wouldn't have jobs. We wouldn't have an economy that continues to grow. Without it, we wouldn't have factories because they'd build stuff just so, so well that that business wouldn't be able to be kept in. So in some ways, we like it. And in some ways, we also like it when our cell phone messes up because then we get to get a new one. So we're all in on this deal. But here's the difference between what we're living with here on earth and God's kingdom. God's kingdom is built to last. 
You have now been built to last. Because of what God has done inside of you, you have now become an eternal being that is built to last. And it's time for you to start living your eternal life now. Live it now. When God created all of this, He made it to last. But one thing was introduced into this world that rocked the world, that changed everything, that, and it brought entropy into existence. Anybody know what that is? Sin. Sin has changed everything in this world. It's brought all of the disorder in our lives that we know of. You see, mankind's stubbornness disobedience to God brings more and more disorder to our lives and to our planet. It's sin that's ruining our lives. It's sin that is bringing disorder to our lives. Every problem, think about it, every bit of disorder in your life, every bit of struggle that you have in your life is because of sin, whether it's your sin or someone else's sin. Confusion, that doesn't come from God. Disorder, that doesn't come from God. Frustration, erosion, abuse, none of those things come from God. It all comes from sin. Every problem that you and I face today is either because of our own sin or someone else's sin in our lives. That's where disorder comes from. That's where entropy comes from. And God says, I want you to live forever now. I have created you as an eternal being now. What I've done inside of you as a human being, even though you're facing all of this that you're facing, you've been created now as an eternal being and you're living out your, your, your eternal life now. But it's up to you as to whether or not you truly embrace that and live it out. Look at what it's, the scripture says. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What is he saying? God gives us good and perfect. God doesn't give us junk so that we'll have to replace it later. He gives us good and perfect, and he makes you good and perfect. And look what it says, who does not change. He doesn't change. What does that mean? There is no entropy happening with God. God's body is not deteriorating. He's not getting worse as time goes on. Things aren't falling apart up there in heaven where he is. Entropy is not happening to him. Why? Because there is no sin in him. It is sin that brings entropy into our lives and brings problems into our lives. But you and I were temporarily stuck into this, in this world that feeds off of entropy. In a world of sin and pain and destruction. But God wants... God wants you to begin to live forever now. What does that mean? What does that look like? God wants you to begin seeing your life as an eternal life now. And he wants you to begin living in such a way that reflects that you believe that and that you know it. Not waiting for your body to die. Well, I'm just waiting to go to heaven. Then I'm going to be done with this body of sin and death. No! You can live that life now. You've just got to start making changes and start making decisions in your life that allows for that. You can live forever now. And here's what I do know. When you stop doing destructive things and start doing constructive things, entropy slows in your life. 
Some of you look younger than when you did when you first got saved. I'm not going to say who. <laughs> John Michael, will you turn the air up just a little bit? It's a little chilly. Why is your health failing so quickly? Think about it. Why is your health failing so quickly? Are there things that you're doing? Eating? Drinking? Smoking? <laughs> are there things that you're doing in your life that are causing your health to fail? Why are you always so broke and struggling financially? Well, what are you buying? Are you buying more than you're making? What are you, or, or maybe, maybe you're doing stuff that's holding you back from getting that job or a better promotion. Maybe you're gambling it away. What is it? The things that, that we're struggling with in our lives that could be in order, God says, all right, if you'll look and tag sin that's causing that in your life and begin to change that in your life, you're going to be better. Why is your marriage falling apart? Well, what are you doing to destroy it? Are you building that relationship or are you tearing it down? Are you investing your life into that relationship or are you withholding your love and affection and communication from it? You see, disorder is the nature of your environment and the only way to combat it is to stop sinning and to start loving. That's the only way. And with God's presence in your life, guess what? You can get that done. That's encouraging. Well, it encourages me. Challenges me. What is it in my life that I can change? It'll be better. When King David, <clears throat> he was a young man, King David, y'all have heard of King David. He's a, one of the characters in the Bible. He was king of Israel. He was a shepherd when he was little. And while he was out in the fields, one day a lion came by and was going to take one of the sheep. And with his bare hands, David, with the power of God, he ripped that lion apart. A bear came by one day. Same thing. Bear thought he was going to attack a lamb, but he got attacked by a man. And David, this young man, tore that lion apart and killed that lion. Later on, with God's power and God's spirit, there was a giant all of Israel's army had been challenged. He said, send me one man to come fight me and that'll be the war. That way nobody else has to die. All of Israel, in all of Israel, all of the guys with their armor, they looked at that guy and said, nope, we're not going to go and take him. We're scared, scared after death. So they didn't. David comes along, this young teenage boy, a ruddy kid comes along and he's like, who is this guy that defies the armies of the living God? David defeated that giant. Amazing, amazing story. He became the most renowned king of Israel. But along the way, David committed some sin. He committed adultery, and then he tried to cover it up by killing the woman's husband. On another occasion, David's sin cost him 70,000 of his soldiers' lives. His sin affected their lives. On another occasion, or another occasion, David's son, his sin affected David's life. His son Absalom tried to take over the kingdom, and he did. And because of that, David and all of his, all of his kingdom had to, had to run for their lives. This great warrior, this mighty man of battle who had great wisdom, the only thing that ever brought disorder and strife and struggle to his life was sin. 
his own sin, but then also the sin of others, like his son Absalom. But there was something David did that brought favor in the eyes of God, whether it was his sin or someone else's sin. There was something that brought favor in the eyes of God for David. And it was one thing that David continued to do all throughout his life that brought favor from God in spite of his sin. And it was this, repentance. David was a person of repentance. David was somebody that would analyze and look at his thoughts, at his behavior, his lifestyle, and he would turn his back on sin and he would turn his heart towards God and he would want to please God. And that is what brought favor into his life. You see, repentance is turning your mind and your heart towards pleasing God. I want to please him. Now, if you think God is somebody to be appeased, then you don't understand who he is. God is not interested in being appeased like he's some volcano that's going to erupt on us unless we throw somebody in and appease the God. God is not like that. He's very personal. God is somebody that wants to be pleased, not appeased. He's somebody that's he's looking for people that will say, you know what? I like what he likes. I'm going to choose that. I'm going to enjoy liking this relationship with him. And I'm going to please him. And that's what David was different at. That's what David was good at. And when David sinned, he would find a way to come back and please God in his life. And it was called repentance. And even when others sinned and disrupted his life, David would look and see in that situation, even though they were hurting him, even though they were trying to destroy him, even though they were coming against him and all of his kingdom, David was able to look in those situations and say, how can I please God in this situation? When David's son Absalom betrayed him and he took over the kingdom. It's a funny story in my thoughts. Uh, David and his entire royal household, they had to flee out of town. They escaped on foot. And as they're walking out, you can imagine how defeated they felt, especially David. You know, they've been in the palace. They've been the greatest kingdom in the world at that time. And they're walking out of the city. And you can imagine how defeated they felt in those moments. And David is concerned about Israel. His son, who is an evil person, has just taken over. He's not going to be good to him. It's going to be a bad situation. And it says that as they were walking along, this guy named Shimei, and if you know the, story, the, the, the history of Israel, Saul was the first king of Israel just before David. And one of Saul's descendants, his name was Shimei. And so David comes along Shimei, and, and Shimei is up there, and he's throwing rocks. I imagine he's like uh, the guy on Andy Griffith. What was his name? Ernest T. Bass. Remember him? He's like, ah! just crazy and he's throwing rocks at him and he's yelling at him and it says he says get out of here you murderer you good for nothing the lord is paying you back for so many in, uh, so for killing so many in Saul's family you stole his kingdom but now the lord has given you given it to your son Absalom you're a murderer and that's why you're in such big trouble what is he saying he's saying i know why you're in in big trouble i know why this travesty is happening to you and, and he was judging David in this moment. And Abishai said, your majesty, and Abishai is one of David's men, your majesty, this man is as useless as a dead dog. He shouldn't be allowed to curse you. Let me go over and chop off his head. David replied, 
what will I ever do with you and your brother Joab? He's just like, you and your brother Joab, you're always wanting to chop someone's head off. If Shimei is cursing me because the Lord has told him to, which I don't know, then you're to tell, then who are you to tell him to stop? Then David said to Abishai and all his soldiers, and this is so important, he says, my own son is trying to kill me. Why shouldn't this man from the tribe of Benjamin want me dead even more? Let him curse all he wants. Maybe the Lord did tell him to curse me. But if the Lord hears these curses and sees the trouble I'm in, maybe he'll have pity on me instead. David, even when someone else was sinning against him, looked to see, is there a way to please God? Is there a way to get God's favor in this? You see, David was trying to please the Lord even when someone else was sinning. And any time you turn your heart towards trying to please the Lord after you have sinned or in the middle of someone else's sin, you're going to find the Lord's favor because it's called repentance. So let me ask you a question. What can you do today to begin to please God? What can you change in your life to begin to please God? And when you do something, it's going to change the order of your life. What can you stop doing today to please God? You see, God wants you to begin to live forever now. Live forever now. Begin to live like you're already in heaven. Oh, John, that's impossible. Whoa, wait a second. Not according to God's word. You're alive forever now. If you've accepted Christ into your life, sure, this body of sin and death is going to go away, but you're alive forever now. Are you living like it? The more you sin, the more your life is going to be in disorder. But the more that you put it aside, and start living differently. You see, David recognized that if he had responded to Shimei in a sinful way, it would have just brought more problems and more struggles, more disorder to his life. But by putting his hope in God and trusting him and saying, hey, maybe this is an opportunity for the Lord to bless me. Maybe this is an opportunity for the Lord. Just leave him alone. And Shimei just kept throwing rocks. Just kept throwing rocks yelling and screaming. You see, only God can reverse the curse that you bring to your life, but you can participate. You may have messed up a lot, but you can change that today in your life. I have a friend. He was a meth addict. Seven years ago, his life was an absolute wreck. Today, because of what Jesus Christ did in his life, he has a wife, he has kids. He has a great stable job. You would never look at him and say, man, he used, to, he used to do meth. And I'm looking at a church full of people that before you came to Christ, compared to now, the difference. It's amazing what God is doing in your life. You're living 
your life of eternity now. Does it mean that your earthly world is in perfect order? No, not at all. We still live in a fallen world and we've got entropy happening all around us, don't we? Our eyes go bad. Our bodies are deteriorating. We're feeling it as we get older. Life is happening around us, but inside something amazing is absolutely happening. And doing life God's way brings meaning to all your pains and your struggles when you do it His way. James David, would you come? I've been watching Laura Ashley as she's so eagerly expecting little Eli to come. It's fun to watch her. She'll be sitting over there in her glider chair and she'll have her hands like this and she'll be moving them around, feeling that little baby moving around inside of her. And she'll just have a smile. I have a picture that she doesn't even know I've taken and she certainly doesn't know I've shown it to people. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> She's feeling that little baby, just smiling. She's expecting. She's expecting. She can't wait to see him, to smell him, to teach him, to feed him, to see the things that he likes and doesn't like. She's expecting. She's expecting him to be healthy and strong. She's expecting him to be strong and healthy and good and, and a great life ahead. She's expecting that. And I know that because there are certain things that she loves to eat that she's not eating. She's expecting good things for this kid. There are places that she probably could go, like Six Flags, and get on <laughs> roller coaster, but she doesn't. Why? Because she's expecting. She's expecting good. I walked out of Walmart a few weeks ago, and there was a woman, very pregnant, leaning up against her car. I don't know what she was doing. Why are you just standing in the parking lot of Walmart leaning up against your car just beyond me? But she was smoking. She was pregnant, but she wasn't expecting. She wasn't expecting her son or daughter to be healthy and strong. She wasn't expecting. She was just trying to survive. You see, God is looking for people who are expecting that what He said is true. Are you living like you're expecting? Are you feeding and nurturing yourself spiritually? Are you growing? Are you adding goodness to your life? Are you just living the same life you've always lived and hoping that you'll get to heaven? It's time to start expecting that you're going to heaven.
expecting is way different. So I want to end with a couple of passages. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. Live forever now, is what he's saying. God's Spirit beckons, is calling us to this new life. There are things to do and places to go. He's saying, you have meaning, you have purpose. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. He's speaking of it as though it's already happened. Do you see that? This resurrection life you received, it's a past thing. When you accepted Christ into your life, it's not timid, it's not a grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is and we know who we are. Father and children. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. What is He saying? Believe, expect in an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with Him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with Him. How many of you have gone through hard times with Christ? Then you certainly are going to go through the good times with Him. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. All of the entropy that's happening in the world, all of the decay, all of the strife, and all of the struggle. He says the created world can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Listen to how God speaks of the future. Glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. Come on, when you watch the news, oh, that's a birth pain. Oh, it's happening more often. Three to five minutes, that means we're, things are happening. We're going to have a baby. He says, the, I lost my spot. I got too excited. Okay. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. Oh, that's huge. It's not just happening in the world, but there's something happening inside of us. The Spirit of God is aroused, arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. How many of you feel that? We yearn for that full deliverance. We can't wait until 
we see Christ come back. And he says, that is why waiting does not diminish us. Come on, don't get discouraged. Don't, let, don't be diminished by waiting. Any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become. And the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know know how to pray or what to pray. Anybody ever been there? Don't know how to pray. Don't know what to pray. What God, we just, where are we today? What's going on? Look at what it says. It doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us. Now that's no excuse to not pray. Okay. He's saying when we're struggling, we don't know how to pray. God's praying within us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail of our lives of love for God is worked into something good. No matter how difficult it gets, God is going to work it into something good because we love Him and we're called according to His purpose. Another passage. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for you. And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of His chosen? We better be careful how we treat each other, right? When you mess with each other, you're messing with Him and me. <laughs> He's much bigger. Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for you. Do you think anybody's able to going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble. Not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. And then he quotes something here. He says, they kill us in cold blood but they, because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. He says, none of these kind of situations phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. Man. Do you believe in that? Yes, but Jesus help me with my unbelief. 
You see, what would happen in a man's life or a woman's life if they really believed? I promised myself I wouldn't bring up Angela today, but this is so pertinent. Those moments when I truly believe she's gone, I can't handle those. So I live in denial. What would really happen if you believed what God said? What would change in your life? And that's what you're after. John, I've, I've got this the way that I want it. Is it working for you? Because if it's not, there's sin involved. Sin destroys, sin separates, sin breaks apart. Entropy happens because of sin. But when we begin to live life God's way, it's amazing how things come together. It's amazing. Do you believe? Yes, but God help me with my unbelief. Would you bow your heads? I'm going to pray for something for you right now and for me. It's called conviction. Don't be afraid of it. It's direction from God to be able to make a decision. And He will empower you to make that decision. It's not condemnation. It's conviction. And it draws you towards Him and He empowers you to change whatever it is that he convicts you of. And if you can open your spirit to that, God wants to give you life. He wants to give you better. He wants to give order to you. He wants to help your relationships. He wants to help your marriage. He wants to help your finances. He wants to help you in every way of your life. Maybe it's your health. And God wants to bring order to that. And so as we pray, I just pray that you would open your heart also for this conviction to come in. And it's called wisdom also. God, I ask you to convict us that we may see and be able to understand what it is that needs to change in our lives. That your order that good things would happen, that blessings and favor would be there. And God, today we also choose, as you give us that, to repent as David learned how to do. That we want to please you and to live the rest of our lives in such a way that's pleasing to you. And let your conviction come upon us
We're your people that we may grow and change and be better. Marriages restored, health restored, peace in our homes and in our lives, stronger bodies. If it's something that we need to change in our diet, give us the strength to do whatever it is. God, we ask you for your guidance and your direction in Jesus' name. And now just take a moment and begin to say, God, I'm going to do what David did. I want to please you with my life. And I'm going to change this in my life. And I thank you that you're going to empower me to do that. I ask you for it and I receive it in the name of Jesus, the power of God to be able to live differently, that order can be restored to my world, that I can become somebody that glorifies you. For the rest of my life, I want my light to shine brighter than that light bulb that's been shining in that firehouse. I want to be a light for you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, thank you.